Yeah, so there's a flywheel that happens when you provide something for really great value overall. And I don't mean that, again, financially, I mean that in terms of overall value proposition, um, whether that's quality, brand, um, service, uh, whatever it is, or some combination thereof. When you do that really well, it's, it's magical and it can take on a life of its own in a really exciting way. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Cal Vipuri, who's a serial investor, serial entrepreneur, and the founder and CEO of Hero, the IoT-connected device that automatically dispenses medication when you need it. He was inspired to build this company after his mother, who's an MD, admitted herself into the hospital for quadruple bypass surgery. The surgery itself was successful, but it's what came next for his mother that opened his eyes to the difficulties that millions of Americans face every single day. His mother, herself a nationally renowned physician, underwent two readmissions that could have been prevented if she had managed her medication as prescribed. Cal talks about the creation of Hero and the work that went into building that before he even got one customer. In addition to that, we talk about Cal's early success as a founder before he even went to college and how he's managed to become a stellar angel investor. He's invested in some of the most well-known household names in the world. Companies such as ClassPass, Sweetgreen, Warby Parker and more. We then delve into his other successes and his other entrepreneurial endeavors with two of the other companies that he currently runs in addition to Hero. This was such a dope conversation. I really enjoyed speaking to Carl. So humble, so well-grounded and super intelligent. All right, that's enough for me. Let's jump into the episode. So Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Philip. Great to be here. Excited to speak with you. Awesome, awesome. So, so Carl, before we talk about Hero um, and your entrepreneurial journey, um, I always get people to, you know, introduce themselves as if they had never met me before. Uh, I mean, I guess we haven't met before, but like if you had never uh, met someone, if you're out in a dinner party, how would you introduce yourself to, to someone? Um, I, I usually would just say that I'm, uh, I'm an entrepreneur who built uh, and is running a health technology company and um, prior to that was, um, an entrepreneur and angel investor. Okay. Nice. Short and sharp and sweet. And then I guess to say, Oh, cool. What did you start? What did you invest in? Blah, blah, blah. Got it. We'll get into that. Um, so before we talk about hero, how I like to talk about early life and, and figure out, you know, what kind of led you down this path down entrepreneurship and more specifically tech entrepreneurship. So I guess what was early childhood like? Um, cause I know, for example, you know, your, your mother is a doctor, uh, which we, which we'll get into about the story, but like how, how did technology come about? How did you get involved in, in computer science, et cetera? Happy to, happy to talk through it. Um, so I grew up in a, uh, immigrant family, um, and an immigrant family, immigrant family that was very healthcare focused. Uh, my parents are both, um, immigrants from India and, uh, my mother is, as you've mentioned, is a, is a doctor. My father was a, a biochemist. Um, and, uh, you know, I saw them sort of being entrepreneurs from, you know, my, my earliest memories. Um, so I always, I was always, um, I guess the world around me always 
to me felt like one that where entrepreneurship was sort of the path. Um, and how I got into technology in some ways is, is sort of driven by that, you know, core belief system, um, around entrepreneurship, um, being sort of my guiding light from, from a very young age. Um, I just loved solving problems. Um, as a kid, I was, um, I was really into mathematics. I was, you know, I played with Legos, all the sort of quintessential things that you hear about for folks who are, you know, uh, technical later in life. And, um, so in that sense, I think I was pretty, pretty standard. Um, but when I was eight or nine years old, um, I sort of got lucky in the sense that, uh, my, father had uh, invested in a computer. So uh, it was a Commodore 64 and an Apple II at the time. And uh, I sort of picked up an interest in the computer itself and then tried to learn how to program it and eventually figured all of that out and started writing very simple games um, for fun as, as a lot of people who actually, you know, became software engineers in the 80s and 90s um, sort of did, which is, you know, sort of starting, starting off in, in gaming um, for fun. And then eventually, uh, the internet came to be and um, I grew fascinated with that when I was in high school and started um, building websites. And, um, and that turned into sort of my first business, which was uh, building websites for other, uh, for small companies or universities, um, and then hosting those websites. And then also, uh, starting to, uh, develop email and hosting email for those companies as well. Um, and so that was sort of a, a side project that turned into a business in high school for me. Um, and through that, I started to learn more about, um, just wireless technology, how, um, everything was going from landlines to um, to wireless communication and how bandwidth was becoming really important. And it wasn't just voice and cellular um, voice discussions that was going to happen through the airwaves, but also uh, you know, data transfer and everything we were doing on the internet. And so um, that's when I started to investigate that world and, and actually became uh, an early participant in sort of the telecom um, acquisition space, buying small licenses in different parts of the US, usually sort of third tier cities um, in the Midwest and the Southeast. Uh, and then that sort of opened up a whole new world for me, um, thinking about you know, what, what high speed uh, telecommunications was going to do for us. And that was sort of in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, from, was, this, yeah. this, was this part of was, was this you still as a high school student <laughs> when or? I started yeah when I started so in high school it was mostly for me it was mostly about sort of web development and um, email hosting and web hosting and then um, I actually sold that business um, during the first uh, internet um, you know kind of the internet uh bubble, so to speak. Um, yeah. and then eventually, and then, and then took that capital, um, and started investing in, uh, spectrum or wireless spectrum as it was called then with buying, um, CDMA and GSM licenses, um, uh, in, in sort of that late nineties, early two thousands timeframe is when I started investigating it and then started actively participating in sort of the 
the mid 2000s while I was um, in college or wrapping wow. up college. Wow. So you had your first exit just kind of like before going to college, right? Yeah, I, w- I, I, yeah, I, w- I w- it was, uh, you know, relatively small, but it was, uh, definitely a really amazing learning experience and something that, uh, you know, taught me a lot. What did your parents think at the time? They were like, like, Jesus, what's this kid doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, it was, uh, for me again, it was more learning than sort of a financial goal sort of driven process. And so, um, you know, to them, they just saw saw somebody who was, you know, kind of a, a growing version of the precocious kid that they were used to. And um, they definitely were, thankfully, really, really supportive, um, which I think is uh, part of the reason I was able to try all these different things and sort of zero in on the things that worked versus, uh, you know, versus the many other things that I tried that didn't. <laughs> Right, right, right. And so, you know, you've had this success and it seems as though you're having like the second bout of success while at college. Did At any point, do you think, you know, what am I doing in college? Like, I'm kind of good at this business thing. Might as well just go ahead and do that. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, it's an interesting question. I, um, I love learning. And so for me, school was actually really, really important. Um, and uh, I, I had a pretty broad set of interests. Um, I studied engineering and computer science and, um, and economics. And, um, you know, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, in fact, there was part of me that thought I was going to be a professor um, uh, after school, even though I was entrepreneurial. I didn't, I never had, uh, you know, a belief that I was going to be a CEO and kind of run a big company. It was more just, I really, you know, I was just kind of creative and enjoyed problem solving. And, um, so I didn't, I, you know, I never really had that realization, certainly not when I was in, in college that I was going to be, um, you know, a, a sort of business person or an entrepreneur in the traditional sense. I just, um, I thought, uh, you know, if there's an interesting problem to be solved and I'm really passionate about it, I, I'd love to spend time on it, but it didn't mean it would be a business, you know, at the time I thought it could even be something more academic. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And so, you know, you finish college, uh, you do some engine investing, and then you you know you do something quite interesting, and you you get a job. Uh, yeah, <laughs> why, yeah, why for did, sure. Why did you get a job? <laughs> um, it's a it's a really interesting question, and um, I it was um, it was because I realized after I started investing in. Um, those those uh, licenses, wireless licenses, that I didn't know a whole lot about business. Um, I was really excited about again, sort of challenging problems and and new industries and new technology, but I didn't really know anything about you know P and L or like you know how to negotiate things or legal contracts and right right. Um, I felt like I needed to learn that from smart people who, you know, were ideally the sort of best in the world at what they did and, um, you know, in whatever way that was accessible to me. So I decided to um, take a job in consulting after I did a, uh, I did a fellowship year after undergrad to explore academia and realized I wasn't going to do that. Um, 
I, I took a job in consulting uh, at a firm called Bain & Company, which was an incredible experience for me mm-hmm. as a as a young um, undergraduate. Uh, and uh, I really I had a, an incredible time. I, I worked with brilliant people, many of whom went on to be incredibly successful entrepreneurs in their own right, some of whom um, I was fortunate to uh, to know pretty well and, and actually in, invest behind um, as yeah, an early supporter. Good. Free from uh, Wolby Parker and Harry's. Wolby Parker and Harry's and and Class Pass and um, Sweet Green and Seat Geek. Those all had uh, being alums as as uh, at least yeah. one you know member of the founding team. And um, yeah. you know most of them I knew actually during my time there. And some other folks were a little bit uh, younger than me, but um, it was you know incredible network of really really talented folks and. You know, I felt very fortunate to be there, learned a ton, um, and then um, worked in private equity for a little while to learn the sort of finance and legal aspects of building companies and businesses and trying to understand what transactions meant and, you know, that whole world of, of capital. Um, so did that for a few years, um, learned again, a ton from, from brilliant folks. And, um, right around then I started to negotiate the sale of, uh, some of the telecom, uh, assets that I'd acquired a handful of years prior. And after that, uh, I started investing in, um, a lot of the businesses that, um, I'd been hearing about either coming out of Bain Company or, um, at the time out of the West Coast community whether it was Y Combinator or, or um, you know, uh, Techstars or some of these other programs, as well as just um, folks who, were, you know, I was able to get introduced to through the, through the network that I had. Yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, wow, there's, there's so much to unpack there. And I find it, I think it says a lot about you in terms of, you know, still, you know, having such early success in your career as an entrepreneur, still going, staying the course and finishing education angel investing to then going to get a job. I mean, most entrepreneurs, you know, they become entrepreneurs because they kind of like hate the notion of having a boss, let alone going to a management consulting company with like thousands of employees, right? Um, to then still be angel investing and, and working. I mean, I, I think it's a, you know, I don't think you, you meet many entrepreneurs who, who could stomach that. Do you, do you ever question like, well, how come you're wired differently in that sense? Like, uh, you know, like what made you, what made you, I know you said you wanted to learn, but was there anything else that just made you think like, wow, I'm actually quite different in, in the sense? I think, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it kind of stems from one thing. I think I was a late bloomer in terms of just having confidence in, in myself. Um, mm. you know, when I was growing up, I didn't, I was the oldest, uh, you know, sibling, uh, my brother, I have a younger brother and sister. Um, I didn't have a lot of, um, sort of, you know, mentorship other than my, my immediate parents who were incredible mentors in in life. Um, but when it came to sort of the world and, you know, how the sort of entrepreneurial world in the U S worked, especially on the East coast, I didn't feel like I had a, a real, um, a real way to sort of leverage any mentorship or anything like that. When I was young, obviously that started to happen after school. And, and increasingly I started to realize that some of the, the work that I was doing was actually 
really meaningful and, and, um, that some of the founders that I was able to support, um, were really building transformational companies. Um, that's when I started to sort of, you know, gain confidence in, in my ability to, to, to learn about really interesting ideas and then process that into, um, you know, being able to invest in them and help them be successful. Um, but it takes time, you know, I think for any, anyone who's in the early stage investing world, it, you know, it takes a better part of a decade to, to really know typically if you're, um, if you're able to sort of see the forest, uh, beyond the trees. Yeah, no, uh, uh, totally. Um, no, I totally agree with that. So no, that's, that's so interesting. So I guess I want to switch gears now and talk a bit more about your, your current company. Um, I know you've done a, a number of other kind of consumer focused companies, and then we're going to talk about, I guess, consumer tech in a more broader sense. Uh, but focusing specifically on Hero, uh, you know, what is Hero? Um, how did it come about? Um, you know, I know the story about, um, you know, your mother having a, an issue and then it kind of like was a light bulb moment for you. Uh, but can you just walk me through or walk the audience through Hero, what the company does and, and why you decided to build this company? Absolutely. Um, Hero is a next generation medication management solution or service. Um, the, the idea for, Hero, for Hero started almost uh, seven years ago, um, actually a little over seven years ago now, when I was trying to learn about the broader medication management and pharmacy space. Um, I'd done some work in it um, while I was a consultant and realized that it was not just broken, but created a lot of pain for consumers and patients. And those are the types of problems that have always intrigued me. It's is if you can, if you can create a service um, and use technology to create that service in a way that makes people's lives better uh, and removes friction and, and, you know, could potentially reduce cost and, and improve um, health outcomes. I mean, that to me is an incredible um, a way to, you know, spend your life or career. And so I'd, I'd been spending more time trying to understand if there was something that I could do there and that, that I was particularly you know, well suited for and right around then. Unfortunately, my mother, who's a physician herself, um, suffered a, a heart attack and, um, and had to undergo a quadruple bypass, which, uh, needless to say, was was a, a difficult thing for any family to have to go through. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, she had a successful, uh, albeit com- complicated, procedure. Um, and unfortunately, um, it, after she was fully recovered, she had some challenges with managing her medication. And, and you know, it turns out, or I certainly learned at the time, that that was a pretty typical. Um, uh, thing for, for anyone who is a complex chronic disease patient to have to go through, which is all of a sudden managing, um, five or more, sometimes 10, 15, or even 20 medications, um, which becomes in, especially when you start talking about 15 or more, sort of a full-time job because you have to make sure your insurance information is up to date, that your physicians are talking to each other, that Mm -hmm. you're drugs are an expiring, that there's no drug interactions, that you're able to get them, that you're able to pay for them. All these things end up taking um, a lot of time and effort, but they're also, they become quite complex and create a lot of stress and 
and in some cases, depression. And so um, I spent the better part of two years trying to unpack that and really figure out a way to solve the problem in a way in a way that would make people not just have peace of mind, but also be a really modern solution where you could integrate that service back to the healthcare system at large and with family caregivers and healthcare providers like physicians or home nurses or pharmacists so that the patient really becomes connected to all the different parts of the healthcare system and it could act cohesively in a way and and synchronize around that patient's need. And so just to unpack that a little bit more specifically, Kiro itself really focuses on what happens in the home and how how to improve someone's ability to take their medication correctly take it on time and make sure they're taking the right medications um, at all times. So that's where we started. And the way we did that was by creating uh, a piece of hardware that accurately um, dispenses medications, reminds people when to take medications, um, uh, had the potential at the time to start looking at uh, things like drug interactions, connect to pharmacies of that member's choice, um, connect to payers, uh, meaning health plans, and then healthcare providers, as well as at its core, providing transparency to the family caregiver um, that was uh, helping or multiple caregivers that were helping to take care of that uh, member or support that um, patient. And so that took many years of development and testing. Um, we had to invent uh, a lot of hardware technology, um, which you know, many many of your listeners probably uh, have, you know, have piece, you know, have a Peloton or 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 other sorts of hardware in their life or that they've uh, interacted with. It's it's a, it's much harder to develop um, from a time frame perspective than software, of course. So it took a, quite a while, and then the fact yeah, that we're, we're as well. <laughs> Yeah, and it's uh, so we had to, you know, test it, et cetera, et cetera, and and eventually we got to a solution that people love. Um, once they use it, they didn't want it. They didn't want somebody to take it away from them. We realized that um, we had to try to make it as accessible as possible, and so we um, we turned it into a business, and um, that business is now, um, you know, serving uh, members in a way that uh, we're really proud of. Um, we improve peace of mind. We're helping to improve um, their their daily health uh, in ways that uh, we envisioned many years ago and took us a while to get to, but are now um, you know uh, growing very quickly as a result. Yeah, no, I mean, just by looking at it, it looks like an incredible product. With the you know, you got the app, you've got the dispenser. It's like a whole experience, um, and you know. I know you've, you've done so many things and, the, and there was so much there. I just wondered, like, given your background, I know you said you had some experience at Bain, you know, looking at, I guess, pharmaceuticals, but like, that's not your quote unquote background, I'd say. So were, were you slightly intimidated by not being, you know, an industry expert, so to speak, or, ha- or coming from that background or having worked in that, in that space? Um, and kind of like, what was kind of the first thing you did when you were like, okay, we're going to, I know you, you spoke about like testing products, et cetera, but when you were like, okay, I'm going to make this a business, like what were kind of the first things that you did in order to solidify yourself and get your credibility and ultimately kind of like get the respect within the, the, the pharmaceutical space? 
Great question. Um, uh, I'll, I'll answer the first one um, first in the sense that I, um, around how I got comfortable and sort of entering healthcare and thinking about the pharmaceutical or pharmacy um, market. Um, I'd mentioned that I, I, my parents were both in the sort of healthcare world. So I did have that, um, that comfort of, you know, just hearing people talk about healthcare. My mother was a physician who cared for other um, senior or um, older adult patients. Um, And then um, my father um, as a uh, biochemist and chemical engineer um, uh, who was involved in the pharmaceutical space my entire childhood. Um, You know, I just, I, even though I didn't know much about the market or the business or the products themselves, I felt comfortable at least learning about it. And some of the terminology were things that I'd heard over the dinner table, um, different points in my life. Um, and then when I was at Bain company, because I was, you know, um, working in an office that did a fair bit of healthcare work, I was oftentimes staffed on that type of, um, those types of projects. And so that really is where I learned the most about that space. And, um, and where I got fascinated around sort of the, the complexity of the U.S. healthcare system and how all the different moving parts work together, sometimes in ways that, you know, you know, made a lot of sense and other times in ways that, you know, seem to be a little more um, challenged and create some misalignments of incentives. So that to me was just really interesting um, and got me excited, uh, again, going back to that sort of idea of problem solving and trying to figure out sort of why things were they were, were the way they were and if there are ways to do things better. Um, um, and then, it, you know, as, as things got um, with respect to hero, as things came further along, um, we spent uh, a lot of time testing to your point, not just other products and solutions, which ideally, you know, would have been um, helpful to this 5% of the pop, we call it the 5% of the population that's highest risk and, and drives um, roughly 50% of all healthcare costs in America to, to, to fully support the needs of those patients uh, requires really, really diligent, thoughtful and empathetic design. And so we had to spend an incredible amount of time just talking to people um, who are oftentimes in states of emotional distress, um, you know, feel like they're disconnected from uh, their friends and family because of this, you know, health issue or health, many times health issues that they are, are um, battling with every day. And so in those conversations, we tried to unpack all the different friction points in their life when it came to this problem, but also how this problem sort of positively impacted or how this, how solving some of those challenges would positively impact their life. And so one, we create, we were able to create sort of this map of, of the friction points um, and then how important each one of those uh, were relative to the sort of goal state that that family or that patient wanted to, to be in, which is being right. able to spend more time with their family, not talking about medication all the time, really like going back to that, you know, really, um, you know, r- really connected lifestyle where they were, you know, back to being able to spend quality time with their family and, and not being concerned around this, this, you know, set of challenges. So, it, you know, 
you asked the question around, um, you know, how, how we ended up uh, deciding how to build the product that we built. And the answer is, is um, a lot of customer development. And in our case, our customer are people with usually one or more chronic conditions um, that they're going to be managing for the rest of their life. Yeah, no, that makes uh, a ton of, a ton of sense. Um, kind of like doing the initial groundwork and research before actually trying to, to build anything, just understanding the problem a bit more intimately. Um, no, that, that makes sense. And I guess once you had decided, okay, this is going to be business, um, you know, you were confident that this was going to be successful because as you said, people didn't want to give it back. Um, how since then have you grown? Um, how have you gone about getting the word out? How I know you guys do like a referral system, um, like, you know, $50 off, for example, but like how, how, was the marketing for this? Because I, I know there are, or well, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, are there not rules around how to market things that's focused around medication? For sure. Yeah. There, 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 are, there are things that um, anyone in the healthcare space has to be cognizant of with, with respect to rules and regulations around making um, what are called claims. Um, so you, you absolutely have to make sure that... Uh, you any claims that you do make yeah. are backed up with um, usually clinical trial data or some other third party study that validates um, the statements you're making. Um, so and then otherwise, when when you're marketing, um, you really stick to kind of the core the core um, value proposition, what you do, and um, so that's talking about Hero as an overall service and what that membership entails and sort of how, how it creates um, peace of mind and consistency and uh, improves medication adherence and safety in the home while creating a sense of independence uh, and creating and recreating that uh, sense of connectedness between the, the patient, our member, and, um, who's our member, um, the family caregiver um, and the family overall. So that's kind of how we, we think about our core messaging and um, to your point, there's lots of different channels that we use to create awareness of hero and um, elevate that awareness um, uh, beyond sort of the, the traditional sort of healthcare um, uh, uh, information that people are consuming every day. So we try to focus on um, channels where we think we can have um, a specific perspective where what we're doing really stands out and resonates with the particular, um, uh, you know, per, uh, the particular set of folks who are um, listening in on that channel, um, whether it's, for example, things like um, audio or, or podcast, but also um, as we think about digital channels, um, organic channels in terms of the content we're producing um, in our, in our own blog, um, some of the thought leadership pieces that we work on as a team. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, of course, some of the creative content that we develop as well in terms of video and, um, and, uh, other types of, uh, digital, um, campaigns. So we're, we're always, uh, we're always cognizant of, again, sort of where our customer lives and, um, how to help, how to initially create awareness of what Hero is and the fact that there is this, this solution that is new, but still really approachable and 
um, something that's easy to use. And um, ultimately, once you commit to it, it, it really radically changes your life uh, in a way that uh, oftentimes many people don't, uh, don't fully comprehend until they've, they've sort of you know, uh, jumped in and tried it. Yeah, no, no, totally, totally. And um, you guys have quite a unique model in terms of the the membership model, which which is obviously quite affordable. Uh, I guess what was the impetus behind going down the membership route as opposed to like one off payments or like a you know just a big upfront payment? Uh, you know, was there a lot of kind of thinking and research that went behind that as a strategy? Uh, it's a great. It's a great question we we spend a lot of time thinking through how to offer the best service possible um around this really um sort of intimate and challenging problem and one that impacts you know the the most important thing which is one's health um and 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 ultimately happiness and so in order to do that what we realized is uh we had to build uh, a service and that service had to be one that was incredibly vigilant around making sure all the different parts of what we offered worked seamlessly together and sort of were orchestrated in a way where that individual's livelihood was was being uh, effectively monitored in in a in a using technology in a in a safe private you know of course HIPAA compliant and secure way, but also that was in a way that was improving um, over time. So we, um, we are consistently developing and releasing uh, software uh, across all the different touch points that our members and the broader healthcare stakeholder community are interacting with the Hero platform. We're um, continuously improving the way our uh, Hero uh, units in the home work by uh, continuously developing new firmware and releasing it over the air to... Uh, those those units, um, making sure that um, that uh, every member has sort of the most up to date technology running at all times, uh, and then further we have a whole roadmap of new services or partnerships that we want to integrate into our offering, and we'll continue to bring those to bear over time. And so, in order to in, be able to invest in that continual improvement, um, we really had to we really have to. Uh, provide Hero as a as a membership offering so that we can continue uh, continue that effort. Yeah, no, that makes uh, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and I guess obviously, you know, news of Amazon stepping into the space. Um, you know, even when I was in New York, I saw a ton of you know different type of companies, like you know, from PillPack to Capsule. Like, have you found the space to be quite competitive, or is the market? that big that you know it requires a lot of new players just because there's a lot of innovation happening in the space so at, at a high level uh, i would say that healthcare is an incredibly exciting market in the in in the us and globally frankly um because there is a tremendous amount of innovation in products, services, uh, business models, pricing, price transparency, all of these sort of different um, vectors are, are being in, you know, tested and tried and, and rejiggered every day. Uh, it feels like in the news, you'll, you'll be reading about something new or a totally different approach, um, which to me is very exciting. I, I, 
when it comes to pharmacy or medication itself, there's even within that a very broad universe of um, stakeholders and uh, companies that are trying to disrupt or innovate in the space. Um, I would say that um, for us, that's all net positive because I think there's an incredible uh, there's an incredible momentum building around uh, awareness of how better um, pharmaceutical uh, supply chains, medication management, um, pharmacy activity can be great for patients um, and improve or at least help to improve um, their outcomes um, and maybe eventually also reduce cost. And those are things that we need as a, as a community in a healthcare system. And, um, you know, patients deserve that. And so that's, uh, I think overall it is, is incredible and will continue. Um, with respect to our, um, part of the universe, um, we, we focus on something that, um, is very specific and on a population that is very specific um, and very com- complex. Um, again, these are sort of the the five percent of the population that that um, are are driving fifty percent of all the healthcare costs in this country. Um, they have multiple chronic conditions. Uh, they they are what they call polypharmacy patients, so they're taking a multitude of medication, and that medication changes frequently because they have two or more prescribing physicians uh, that they're seeing um, with reasonable frequency. So, um, so for us, we, we try to partner with many of the names uh, or, or the types of names that you, you had mentioned, um, whether that be on the pharmacy side to make sure pharmacy delivery and um, the cost of medication, et cetera, et cetera, are um, as they should be in an ideal state for um, patients and members like ours. Um, but we ourselves are really focused on this specific issue of making sure, again, people are um, safely uh, and appropriately taking the medication that they need in their home um, and that they're able to live the most sort of, you know, uh, 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 fulfilling and, um, you know, uh, and fruitful life that they can recognizing that this set of challenges, you know, has historically consumed a lot of their time and, and created a lot of stress in their life. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes, that makes a ton of, a ton of sense. Um, and I guess just thinking more specifically, what ha- during this journey so far, what has been, I guess, the biggest challenge for you, um, whether it be trying to figure out the hardware or just trying to get the, the business model right? Can you, can you think of a time during this whole experience so far, that's been quite challenging. And then how did you kind of overcome come that? <laughs> uh, short answer is all of the above. Um, <laughs> you know, there was, there was never a time that I can recall and say, wow, that was just super easy. Um, <laughs> you know, every moment was, um, was, was thrilling. I mean, it was really exciting, right. Oh, to be able oh. to be doing something new and, taking kind of a blank canvas approach to a problem that I think everyone generally agrees is an, is, has been a challenge and is one that's important that we address. So, um, for, for the sake of all of us, right. Um, we want, we want healthier people and we, we want, um, we want people to live their full potential, look to their full potential. So, um, 
you know, that was really exciting. And that's kind of what drove a lot that and my personal experience and enthusiasm for it in the early days is what drove us through, you know, you know, some of those barriers, right? You know, there was, um, we had to make sure that we were being really thoughtful around um, creating something that was safe, that was worked within regulatory frameworks that, um, you know, was was thoughtful around um, safety and security and um, and HIPAA compliance and an offering that was empathetic and continually improving. But then we had to create hardware because nothing else that we tested really worked. And so that was, you know, obviously a very um, critical decision and one that um, I struggled with for uh, quite a while. But uh, as a, an electrical engineer, I, I, you know, increasingly grew excited about the potential for, you know, what this novel piece of technology could do in concert with, you know, our, our uh, member experience programs, our um, software um, and our insights that we're providing and then the connectivity that that hardware can provide back to the broader healthcare system and all the different stakeholders in, in a patient's care and, and outcomes. So um, I guess that's a, a way of saying, I, I don't, I don't think there was anything that we did that was easy uh, because we had to, we had to really do everything from scratch uh, and start with first principles. And there was countless count. There were countless um, information barriers and then, sort of execution barriers that we had to get over. And, and frankly, that's why it took a really long time. It just, it took a really long time to get to uh, have a product that, and an offering that we could, um, we could launch confidently. And so uh, ultimately we got there uh, with through many trials and tribulations. And, um, yeah. and even today, you know, we we're, we're trying to push the envelope with, um, with uh, how we how we uh, provide uh, better service um, at all times, and so um, you know, I can promise you that we're always uh, we're never on our heels when it comes to uh, trying to do more for our members. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, that's how it goes, right? Uh, especially as a consumer brand, which is what I want to switch gears into now. Um, so, Hero is not your your first rodeo as a consumer company. You've obviously done a few other things aside from just investing in consumer-focused brands. So uh, the arrivals and I can't pronounce this, is it? Onomi? Onomi, yep. Onomi. Onomi. So these are two consumer brands that you you kind of launched that are still in operation. So what's what's the fascination with consumer? Because consumer brands, in my experience, when I speak to a ton of VCs, they're like, yo, consumer is so hard, dude. It's just like, you're just funding companies to spend money on Facebook. Um, (laughs) Like, how come you keep continuing to to do consumer companies? What's this affinity for consumer? Um, And how are the other two companies going? A lot of questions there. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, there are a lot of questions there, but I'll I'll start with um, why, why I think consumer uh, relationships, I guess, are really important. Um, I guess, you know, when you think, when you or anyone really thinks about um, building any business, ultimately what you're providing is a product or a service that um, an individual, a company, um, you know, is paying for. And that that payment is in return for um, some value that's being provided. And 
when you build anything uh, for fo- folks with that just core understanding, what you, what you realize is, um, you know, you have to you have to deserve that value that that payment uh, in in exchange for providing a a unique value or at least a value that they they can't get elsewhere or is more difficult for them to get elsewhere. And so that to me is just fascinating, right? That fundamental premise that um, anytime you create this direct relationship and you're building a consumer uh, channel for a business, and by the way, Hero as a, as a company is, um, is uh, also, uh, you know, someone who partners, we're an organization that partners with uh, other stakeholders in the, in the healthcare system right. as well. Right. Yeah. Um, but the, the consumer channel is one where, you know, you're really, you're, you're, you're directly being compared to the next best alternative. Um, and if you're able to succeed there and find a way to provide um, lasting value, then that will, uh, that will and often does, right, um, pay off in spades. And I don't mean that financially. I mean that in terms of organic uh, organic excitement, awareness, and, um, yeah. So there's a flywheel that happens when you provide something for really great value, um, overall. And I don't mean that again, financially, I mean that in terms of overall prop value proposition, um, whether that's quality brand, um, um, ser- service, uh, what, whatever it is, or some combination thereof. When you do that really well, it's it's magical, and it uh, it can take on a life of its own in a in a really exciting way. So that to me um, is is what uh, drew me to that world initially. The other thing is 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 practically by having a direct relationship with a consumer, you learn uh, a lot as someone who's providing that product or service to them. And you can, you can take that knowledge and continue to improve really, really quickly. Um, and that is also really exciting to me. I'm, um, generally a pretty impatient person in the sense that I want to make sure that we're always doing better and more for our customers. Uh, you know, in the case of here are our members and, and that, that direct relationship is, is critical in us being able to do that. No, that, that makes a, uh, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and I guess even with your investments as well, I think a lot of them have been quite geared towards the consumer side of things as well, direct to consumer. Yeah. We, well, a lot of people, so those tend to be the ones that get the most press. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 uh, I, I tend to, I, uh, and, and, and early on there was a lot of activity in that world. And so, um, you know, that, that was where, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of media sort of uh, put stakes in the ground, but I, um, you know, I, I have invested fairly agnostically across the sort of technology and healthcare market. Um, I do very much appreciate the benefits and the challenges of, um, direct to consumer businesses. Um, but I, uh, I, I have been um, very open-minded in my investing life, um, with respect to business models and channels that, uh, companies were, were focused on, whether it's enterprise or B2B or SaaS, um, you know, business models. Um, that's, that's something that, um, I've been very open-minded about. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and just speaking about, I guess, investments as an angel, what type of companies or what stage do you get involved in with a company as an angel? Are you, are you kind of like, you know, pre-seed, first, you know, 50K check, or are you kind of like further along, like what stage do you like to get involved in? And, and I typically, how do you go about assessing a company as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so in terms of stage, um, I, I typically try to invest at the pre-seed or seed stage. Um, about 95% of my investments, actually probably a little bit more than that are in, in that pre-seed or seed stage. Um, I, uh, when I started investing, I would, um, I would write sort of smaller, you know, angel type checks. Um, and since then it's, um, uh, it's sort of compounded because of the, the growth of the overall portfolio and um, the number of companies that have actually had some liquidity events. And so um, those checks are now a little bit larger and um, tend to be um, fewer in number. Um, so uh, so uh, my average check size is now in the sort of 300 to 500K range. Um, for very early stage companies or companies that um, you know aren't raising that much capital, sometimes it's a little bit less than that, um, just because it works better for the entrepreneur or the company. Um, but that's sort of how I um, the universe of of stage and size that I, I uh, tend to look at. Um, in terms of how I evaluate uh, companies, it's it's really about evaluating founders. I spend the vast majority of my time thinking about um, and trying to learn about how the founder um, chose or decided to work on a particular company, what their um, you know, what their, where their passion and their mission, um, sort of comes from, is it from, um, you know, some sort of personal experience or some, you know, um, part of their career where they, they saw a challenge, uh, themselves, um, or just a personal passion or hobby that, um, they've, they've had for a really long time. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's one of those, sometimes it's a combination of things, but this idea of, of founder market or founder product fit or, or sort of where I tend to focus most of my thinking, because frankly, there's not much else to hang your hat on at that stage. Um, it's, it, it's an idea. Maybe it's a, yeah. it's a, you know, an alpha product. Uh, maybe there's some early traction. Um, and that's all great and, and all important. And, and definitely, you know, you want to think about the market and, and, you know, economics and all those things. But when you're really, when you're really betting on something that early, you're, you're betting on the team and, and those founders are the ones who are going to build that team over time. Yeah, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. It's kind of what I typically t- tend to hear from, from angels. They just, there's not enough data. Um, and, and you're really just trying to go by the market and, and the individual at the end of the day. Um, and I guess in a, in a general sense, you know, you've seen a lot of companies over the years, a lot of startups have come and gone, you've had some liquidity events. Are there any kind of common themes that you see within them in terms of like what makes them successful? Whether that be how they go about marketing, whether that be how they go about hiring, like, are, are there any kind of common themes? And, and I know, listen, I'm the first one to always tell people, look, there are, there's no magic bullet in the startup world. There is no hack. <laughs> but um, there, 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 can, there can be some traits that you see amongst the good founders and the not-so-good founders, or the ones that are still finding their way, let's say. 
Yeah. And, and, and I, I'm glad you said that, that there are no magic bullets. I w- that was literally <laughs> something I, I find myself saying often uh, these days because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of content out there around startups and mm. um, and it's easy to sort of try to use you know try to tr- for trying to you know interpret certain things as rules and, and frankly they're they're definitely guidelines um, you know like you know try to be um, thoughtful around how you spend capital you know and runway and um, you know the types of folks that you hire in the early years versus the types of folks you Higher, the way you develop your team um, once you hit the growth stages or you're more mature, th- those are all sort of relevant and, and valid. And I think you know, there's lots of um, interesting writings on that uh, that's, that's relevant by really smart operators and, and VC investors. Um, the thing that I just, um, you know, kind of the inverse of that is what I find to be um, true for many of the successful companies there, which is they, they're able to, the founders of those organizations are able to take, you know, this, this just vast amount of, of information and recognize what's relevant to them and, and going to be appropriate for them given the, the specific challenges that they're facing or the type of business they have or the team that they have and where they are in their development. And sort of that, that added layer of, um, of thoughtfulness um, and consideration is, you know, oftentimes in my mind, what I've seen separate sort of, you know, the, the, the good to the great um, is that, is that willingness to, um, to take that information and process it and, and, and kind of, you know, go through that diligence of, you know, thinking about what are the different ways you can address some challenges and, and then going and having conversations if you need to have them or, um, or, or studying, you know, um, some other market that might be relevant to yours or looking at, um, you know, uh, um, comps in other markets or even your market, um, you know, that, that requires real introspection and, and self-awareness and, um, you know, kind of elimination of ego. Um, because, Honestly, like, there isn't a single entrepreneur out there uh, who knows everything, um, and and in most cases, they're just um, you know they're just making an educated bet, um, you know, and trying to get as much knowledge as they can around the decisions that they have to make before they make them. And uh, as long as you're ultimately right a lot more than you're wrong, um, and you're moving in that right in that in the in the right direction in that sense you know think good things will come no absolutely absolutely i I totally agree um so i want to work towards uh kind of wrapping up now um and as i mentioned before i kind of have like a set of rapid fire questions i like to ask founders at the end of the show um i think you 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 shared a lot of interesting uh, tidbits that we'll be able to kind of dissect and uh, you might not notice it, but there's a lot of learnings in, in what you said in terms of just telling the, the story. So, so thank you so much for that. Um, I guess the first rapid fire question I'd like to ask is what has or who has been your biggest inspiration? Um, wow, it's a, it's a, it's hard for me to narrow in on, on one person. Um, I'd say just in terms of time spent uh, and um, sort of, the voices that I 
I uh, tend to gravitate to. Uh, Charlie Munger uh, is somebody that I read a lot um, uh, and uh, somebody that, uh, in my mind, no matter what you do in life, um, tends to have some pretty sage advice. Um, he's obviously a business person, but he also studies sort of the human condition. Um, he has something called the psychology, uh, of, uh, human misjudgment. And, um, that to me is, uh, it's a sort of a manuscript and from an original speech that he gave. Uh, and that's something that has, you know, fundamentally changed my life and how I view the world, view myself and my relationships. No, that's awesome. I'll, I'll check that out. Um, your favorite podcast? I'm a huge fan of the Knowledge Project. Um, I found that to be um, with uh, Shane Parrish. Um, uh, it, I found that to be incredibly uh, helpful as well, particularly to folks who are trying to build new things and innovate. Um, it it sort of expands your mind to think about uh, different perspectives. Uh, and approaches to problem solving and um, and introspection. I've, I've never heard of that one. I have to check that one out. I'm always looking out for new shows. Uh, favorite blog? Favorite blog? Um, you know, that's uh, I haven't been doing a lot of blog reading recently, but I will say that I'm I'm always uh, I'm always in avid reader of, uh, Reed Hoffman's work. I think he's, uh, he's been, um, obviously he's had an incredible career and incredibly, um, thoughtful and successful entrepreneur, but, uh, he, uh, he, he cares about progress and in, in humanity and, and is, uh, putting kind of, uh, putting, putting that hat on, um, is always interesting to see when you see entrepreneurs reach certain levels of success, uh, and try to solve world worldly problems. Um, you know, that to me is, is always a really great thing to see. And in some ways is, is really motivating. Uh, favorite book. Favorite book. Um, <laughs> well, it goes back to, um, probably, um, read, read Charlie, again. Oh, no, probably, <laughs> I was going to say it's, you know, it goes back to Charlie, Charlie Munger, but, um, um, uh, there's a there's a book called Charlie Charlie Munger's Almanac that uh, is my probably my favorite book. But I'm reading a book now called When um, by a professor named Daniel Pink, and um, I'm I'm fascinated by how we as uh, as people sort of live our daily lives and how the habits that we create or or the routines that we create impact our happiness and our well-being and our and our relationships and then for the folks who have careers or or um uh or 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 other lives or other aspects of their lives how it uh impacts their uh their personal growth and their professional growth as well so um that's one that um i've been uh really enjoying reading and, and trying to you know use that as a way to test different ways to um you know uh, live my life and maybe change some routines uh, as well. Nice. Um, favorite Instagram account or Twitter account? Um, favorite Instagram or Twitter account? Wow. Uh, not a big Instagram user, but I would say on Twitter, um, 
uh, I've always been, you know, uh, I've historically been um, a, a big follower of uh, both Naval, uh, Ravi Khan and uh, Elad Gill. Um, uh, fortunate to have them as investors in our company and, and um, have known them for quite some time. Um, both of them to me, obviously Naval is a, you know, angel philosopher, uh, is, is really helpful in reframing, um, your mind, uh, and, and allowing you to opening up your brain to think about the world differently. Uh, and Elad, um, you know, he wrote a book called the high growth handbook, um, which to me is, is another book that's been super helpful as a, as an entrepreneur and a founder. Um, but he, he's a super uh data driven thoughtful uh uh communicator and so i've learned a lot just around how to message um and 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 help other people learn through uh through packaging um in insights into narratives that um that are very convincing from him so um i'd say those two are are, are definitely worth a follow if you don't follow yeah, no, I, I definitely follow Naval. I listen to his whole uh, podcast, the uh, "How to Get Rich" or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great series. I, I loved all of those. Um, and what do you wish you? What do you wish you could do that you currently can't do? Well, right now, it's spend time with my family. Uh, obviously, we live in in a sort of a strange universe at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, as as uh, certainly seniors get vaccinated um, and hopefully are able to uh, to travel, uh, and there's less risk for the broader community uh, with respect to the, the the COVID situation, I'm hoping that I, I get to see uh, see my parents and uh, my siblings a little bit more, which has been definitely very challenging. I, I know for many people, so um, excited for excited for that to happen hopefully uh sometime this year yeah no i totally agree it's so interesting because you know a lot of the interviews i have now you know when i ask that question the the answers have become so simple you know before it would be like oh i wish i could fly i wish i could do this and now it's like i wish i could just go to dinner with my friends (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) yeah i wish i could uh, go outside and have a conversation with somebody (laughs) exactly wow simpler times um, and what's the one thing that startups should ignore in the early days? Um, you know, obviously you've seen a ton of startups, you started startups again, no silver bullet, no magic bullet, but there's something that startups must ignore in the early days. What's, what would you say the one thing is? I mean, it may be a counterintuitive, but I would say if you're, if you're, if you're really doing your job as a founder, I would say ignore advice. Um, you know, yeah. try to, try to live through the eyes of your customers um, as deeply and as intimately as you possibly can. Um, and that will tell you more, you know, than any piece of advice will um, because ultimately they're, they're your, they're your guiding light or your true North. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's good. That's good advice. I, I always say to people, you know, the best piece of advice I can give you is to not take too much advice. Um, and, you know, really go and, and speak to your customers and figure it out. Um, and I guess finally, you know, what's your, what's your vision for 
a company, I guess, you know, you have a, a number of companies, but if we're going to focus on Hero specifically, I guess, what's your vision for Hero? Where do you, where do you see Hero in the next five, 10 years? Are, are we trying to go to IPO or, you know, is, is even, are you even thinking down that road? Like what's the, what's the goal? Our goal is to try to chip away at the over 125,000 debts per year you know, that happen because that are completely avoidable, right? Because people aren't taking their medication safely and, and effectively at home um, and trying to ensure that, you know, the, you know, up to 25% of hospitalizations that are unnecessary also as a result of this uh, unaddressed uh, challenge um, start to decline. Um, so we want, uh, we want to, we want to create peace of mind, uh, in the homes of the, the folks who need it. Uh, we want to improve their daily life and then, and ultimately help improve their, their health and their, their connection with their families. Um, so we're going to just do that more and faster and, and better, um, you know, every day that, that, uh, we're doing it. And, um, and hopefully, uh, we can really make a make a dent in in this problem, and um, you know, make Hero as accessible as as possible. Awesome! Thank you so much, Carl, for coming on the show. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, um, learn more about Hero, or hear more about your journey, how can they get in contact? If you want to be I have I have a I have a Twitter account, so if uh, you know those those DMs are always open, and um, I love hearing from folks there. So um, maybe that's the easiest uh, way to get in touch with me directly. Uh, sure. And it's it's at um, Cal K A L V E P U R I. Awesome, Cal. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, this was awesome. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for the time, Philip, and uh, I had a lot of fun. Cheers, likewise. Another big, big shout out to Cal and his team for making that interview happen. What did you guys think about that? I mean, I loved that interview. Probably one of my favorites, to be honest. I just love how calm he was um, just talking about his early successes. And I really love the fact that even though he was a successful entrepreneur, he still wanted to learn and he actually went to get a job, you know. And for most entrepreneurs, that is extremely difficult, as I mentioned. You know, having a boss when you've never had a boss before and you're actually quite successful at not having a boss. Um, so, you know, kudos to you, Cal. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please like and subscribe on the Apple Podcasting app or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. It honestly does go a long way. Until next time, guys, keep grinding.